This morning, our gospel lesson is going to come from John chapter 19, I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And I invite you to stand as you're able in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You've heard me talk for several years about the Delta, and it's funny. I so love the Mississippi Delta that a lot of folks think that I'm from there because I talk about it with such fondness and how much I enjoy it and how special it is to me that some folks just assume that I'm, I'm from the Delta. I'll get folks that'll text me and say, oh, I'm back. I'm in your homeland. I'm in the Delta. And I'll say, well, and I'll, I'm, not, I'm not from there. I'm from Lincoln County. I'm from Boca Chitta. I'm not from the Delta. But, but I love the Delta so much. And, and, and let me tell you why. We have... We have so many fond memories of our time there. So, so many fond memories. That, that place truly formed me. Um, when, we, when we got married, um, Holly, uh, Holly and I got married in, in, back home. They canceled church that next Sunday. So all of my little churches could come down and go to our wedding. It, 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 was, it, it was a place where it's got, got the best food in all the world. I, I will sometimes, I, I have been uh, known to go to Memphis through Greenwood <laughs> just to stop at the Crystal Grill and get, a, get a, some veal cutlets and a, and a lemon icebox pie, and, I, and I'll get me a slice of pie, and I've got to bring a pie home. To share with my wife, you know, I, I may get one or two small pieces out of it, but the rest of it's for Holly. You know, we, we, it's a special place to me because, like I said, we got married there. Sarah was born there. Um, those churches taught me so very much. Y'all, I'm not saying I have any clue what I'm doing now, but I was a lot worse back then. Y'all, those folks, they sat through some bad sermons. I'm not being falsely humble. Those sweet people sat through some bad sermons. I was encouraged this morning. I read a great tweet. It said, C.S. Lewis was inspired to write the screw tape letters while his, while his mind wandered, wandered through a particularly boring sermon. 
So preachers, be encouraged. No matter how bad your sermon is, something good can come from it. <laughs> My folks there sat through a lot of bad sermons. But it was a, it was, the reason why it's so special to me is because, like I said, they shaped me and molded me. Those, those churches taught me how to be a preacher, taught me how to be a pastor, taught me how to work with church folk. They, it's a very, a very special place to me, my time up there and my, my years up there. Like I said, I know where to eat, man. We can go, we can go to Lillo's in, in Leland if you want to, or, uh, or, or, or McCarty's up in Marigold. Man, I can tell you, hey, when you, when you go up there, text me. I'll tell you where the good restaurants are up there. But as much as I loved it, my favorite time of year was springtime in the Delta. I loved, 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 loved springtime in the Delta. And let me tell you why. Because as much as I love it, and as much as that place shaped and molded me, and as precious as it is to me, there is no more depressing place on God's green earth than the Mississippi Delta in the winter. I, you Delta folk that are from there know where I'm coming from because that entire place is gray. The ground is gray. The sky is gray. The clouds are gray. Every last thing in the Delta during the winter is gray. So there's no more joyful or beautiful sign than that first sprig of green that shoots up around late February or early March, when you finally, after months of nothing but dreck and gray, see that first little pop of green, you're like, ah, life's going to emerge. Life is going to win. It's not going to be gray forever. And you know it, because if you've been through it, if you've been there for a while, you know what winter's like. You're not shocked when everything's gray. You're not shocked when the north wind blows and you can smell the ducks from the Peabody on the wind because there's nothing to stop it between Cleveland and Memphis. You're not shocked by that. But the grayer it gets and the colder it gets, the more you want to lose hope. The more you stop believing, the more you lose faith that one day you're going to see green again. One day you're going to see life again. One day life will emerge from the gray muck up into life again. And so, boy, howdy, when you see that first sprig of green, it's the most beautiful sight you'll ever see when life emerges, when you just about lost faith that life would ever come again. Faith is a beautiful thing. And it's an interesting thing. You know, the Bible says that um, faith is a gift of God. It says that we are each given a measure or a degree of faith. And I think that's right. Faith is a gift. And I think there are some people in our lives, some people in life, that actually have the gift of faith. And that faith kind of comes, I'm, I'm going to say kind of comes easy to them. They just instinctually and easily have faith. My wife is like that. I truly believe that Holly has the gift of faith. She, she always believes. She always has faith. She always hopes. Like she just, in a, in a natural and easy way, she just always is able to have faith and always believe in those moments. And I'll be very honest with you, y'all. I don't have that gift. I don't have the gift of faith. Faith 
is incredibly hard for me. And faith has always been a challenge for me my entire life. I've always, I've always struggled with doubt, particularly when I was younger. And listen, I don't just mean the doubt of, oh God, oh God, you know, will you show me your way? No, no, no. When I was younger, I doubted the existence of God. I wasn't sure there was a God. I doubted the validity of Scripture and the power therein. Yeah, there were times in my life, times in my life, lots of times, many times in my life, where I sincerely doubted religion and all the stuff of faith. I did. I really doubted it at, at times. And I'll be very honest with you. I've thought a lot about this and struggled a lot with about this. Y'all know that I, I share a lot with y'all about what's really going on in my head, what I'm really thinking. I've always tried to be very transparent with my thoughts and my beliefs and what I'm thinking and things like that. Um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, by Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, Lincoln said, if I was two-faced, do you think this is the face that I'd wear? I love that line. But let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you why I do this. Of course, there is a, there is a danger to it. Because some of you may want a perfect preacher. You know, some people don't like it when the preacher's human. Some people don't like it when the preacher admits that he has struggles and doubts and fears. Some people, pe- some people want to deify the preacher and make the preacher the rock star of faith. And if that's what you want out of a preacher, then, then, then I'm, I'm not your guy. I'm not. I mean, the world has a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, not Andy Stoddard. I didn't die for your sins. I love Jesus, but I'm imperfect. And I've got struggles and fears like the rest of you. And so the reason why I share these things, honestly, is to give you permission to do the same thing. Is to give you permission to when you're sad or depressed to admit, guess what, guys, I'm sad and I'm depressed right now. And it's okay because God's still good. When you're struggling with something, to admit it. To say, this is a struggle I have, or a worry I have, or a fear I have. Because I hope that when I model these things for you, I give you permission to name it yourself. Because here's the reason why, y'all. It's not so that we can have a giant pity party. It's because Jesus can't help us with the things we don't give to him. If you hold on to it and never admit it and never give it to Jesus, he can't help you. He cannot help you when your hands are clenched around that thing. It isn't until we let go of it, actually name it, and actually release it to him that we can then receive the grace we need to get through it. The more we pretend like we've got a perfect faith and a perfect life, the less Likely it is that we'll have a real faith and a real life. Now, those of you who have the gift of faith, I'm envious of you. (laughs) Because I feel like my life would be a lot easier if I had that gift. But to the rest of us, the ones that struggle, I think God tells us my grace is sufficient. Even in your struggles, 
And in your worries and your doubts, my grace is sufficient. Let's look at our boy Thomas. Let's look at Thomas today. Let's look at Thomas in the text we just read. Bless his heart. Poor Thomas. The Bible, what, what do we know Thomas as? He is known as Doubting Thomas. That's right. Bless his heart. His, his worst moment gets him a nickname. Do you know that when Jesus, the Bible tells us, Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. You know that Thomas said this? Thomas says, let us go with Jesus that we too may die beside him. But we don't call him brave Thomas, do we? No, we call him Doubting Thomas. Here's what our boy Thomas knew. Here's what he knew. He saw, he saw with his own two eyes Jesus get betrayed by one of his brothers. He saw it. He saw with his own two eyes Jesus get betrayed. He saw with his own two eyes and he heard and experienced the fact that Jesus, his Savior, was handed over to Herod, handed over to Pilate. He knew this was a fact that he knew, a fact that he knew that Jesus was nailed to a cross. He knew that a spear was thrust in his side. He knew that he was nailed to a cross, taken down from it, and buried in a borrowed tomb. Those are the facts that Thomas knew. That's what he knew to be true. He knew, saw, understood, and believed those facts as truth because they were truth. Now, first some of the women say, he's alive. That'd be great if it was true. Sure. That'd be awesome. Sure it would be. That'd be great if he was alive. Then some of the disciples say, we've seen him. He came to us. He's alive. Once again, that will be great if so. But all that Thomas knew for sure was that Jesus was dead. That's what he knew. The rest was wishful thinking. The rest was a hope. But what he knew was that Jesus was dead. It wasn't until Thomas was able to take his hand and stick it in the scars. Take his hand and put it in the side that he believed. It wasn't until he experienced that he believed. I think one of the reasons why God had me go through seasons of doubt is so that I could be very understanding of those who do doubt. I think it also gave me a pretty good wealth of Resources to help those that doubt. So right now, guys, I can tell you about Sir John Polkinghouse, the, Brit the British theoretical, theoretical physicist, one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century, who was at the height of his profession as a theoretical physicist, who at that point felt the call to ministry and surrendered and became a priest in the Church of England and spent the entire rest of his ministry finding the commonality between science and of religion. I can tell you about books like uh, The Language of God, written by Dr. Francis Collins, the just-retired director of the National Health Institutes, who is an evangelical-believing Christian, who was responsible for the decoding of the human genome. 
and has been one of the most brilliant scientific minds the last 20 years here in America. I can tell you about him. I can tell you about, about books like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest intellectual books showing the validity of our faith from rationalists. I can tell you about The Reason for God by Tim Keller, a more modern book that does the same thing, that unpacks the, 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 the philosophical proofs of God's existence and how we know that, th- that God exists. I can tell you about St. Anselm. And this ontological proof of God from the 6th century, still such a brilliant proof of God's existence that is studied by philosophy departments across the world. I can tell you about a book called God, the Evidence, that, that drills down into the, to the, 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 the numerical uh, factors that must exist for gravity to be a real thing and how you see this universal numeric display across all the world and how if one degree was off, all the existence would fall into a black hole. I can tell you about that. I can tell you about how I do uh, my prayer life every morning because of my ADD. I have to have a very regimented prayer life because if not, I'll chase rabbits in my mind. And I've got a, a prayer guide that I use where I pray for certain things. And then I, I've kind of added to it um, uh, some people that I feel the need to call. And so that, well, I can tell you about a few weeks back, I was praying, and I just felt God call me to pray for this one person in specific and follow up with them. And so I wrote their name down on my little list. And I can tell you a few hours later, one of my staff members came, walked in and said, hey, you need to pray for so-and-so. He had a heart episode this morning. It was a guy that God laid on my heart. I can tell you how a couple weeks back I was I was doing my preacher thing while I was running around like a chick with my head cut off. And I was going to go visit the youth who were working at Shower Power, downtown Jackson. How I literally pulled in to the parking lot where the youth were. And how as I pulled in that parking lot, I felt God tell me, hey, go to St. Dominic and visit with his family. And part of me thought, well, Lord, I'm literally right here. <laughs> I'll go see them after I do this. And the Lord said, no, go. I'm like, Okay. So I turned around the parking lot of where I was supposed to be and went to St. D. And when I got to the ICU, the family had just recently removed life support. And I was able to hold the family's hand and pray with them in that moment. And their relative died within the hour. Now, maybe that's all a coincidence. Maybe that's just all a coincidence and we shouldn't read anything to that, huh? Or perhaps that's the movement of the Holy Spirit here amongst us. Y'all, I can tell you all these things. I can tell you all these things. But you got to experience it for yourself. You got to experience it. It's not for me to tell you these things. It's not for me to show you these things. But you have to experience it for yourself. And this is what I've come to understand. Faith is not powering through and bowing up and getting to the other side. You know what faith is? Faith is surrender. Faith is surrender to a God who's bigger than you and stronger than you, and frankly, y'all, a God that we don't fully understand. Soren Kierkegaard wrote a great book called Fear and Trembling. This book was basically a meditation upon God, Abraham, and Isaac. 
And the, peer, the thought of it was, is what do we do with a God who calls Abraham to sacrifice his son? What do we do with a type of God? And Kierkegaard's response is, the only way we can approach a God like this is with fear and trembling. Because this God is bigger than us and stronger than us and greater than us. And our job of, of faith, our job with God is not to bow up and power through, but our job is to surrender. Surrender. Faith takes intellectual humility. It's not about powering through. It's about surrender. It's about trust. That there actually is a God who knows you, who loves you, who wants the best for you, and who will be there with you through everything that is to come. And you, you, may, you, you, you may find that God through your intellect. I think your intellect can go a long way in helping you get there. But ultimately, you know that God through surrender. C.S. Lewis once said, I do not have faith because I see, but because I have faith, I can see. Faith enlivens the eyes. I don't see all these evidence of God's existence because I'm so smart, because Lord knows I'm not. I see all of this because I have faith. Faith enlivens the eyes. There's much I do not know about God, much I do not understand about God, but I do know this. He revealed his son to us. He showed us in scripture who he is. He calls us to follow him. So my job, y'all, My job is not to figure everything out, but my job is to surrender. God told Peter, Peter, why do you kick against the goads? For so much of my life, I was like Jacob, wrestling with God, kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking over and over again. And the moment when I stopped fighting, the moment when I surrendered to a God bigger than me, is the moment it all made sense. So yes, I believe that we're called to love the Lord our God of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. But I believe above all else, we're called to surrender our lives, our will, our heart, our soul, and our very existence to a God who loves us. And that's where faith at its core is found. Once Thomas surrendered and experienced, he believed. Friends, may we surrender, may we believe, and may we find faith. Let's pray.